your seats, please. Let's pray. Good to be here this morning. Thank you for the blessing of today. Thank you for the blessing of the season that we are in. Help us to represent you in all we say and do. And Lord, help us to have ears to hear this morning what you're trying to say. Not only hear it, but apply it and put it into practice in all we do and say in your name. Amen. Okay, the way we're going to do this is this. We're going to start out with a basic premise and we're going to lay some foundational stones. And as we get this premise laid, we're going to build up to the main point. But unless we get this premise laid and this foundation laid, the main points won't mean anything. Because I could teach you what the main points are, but unless you understand the why, it doesn't do any good. Because what we're going to talk about this morning is this idea of possessions. And you already know you're here this morning. You're going to say, yeah, I know as a Christian, don't let possessions have you. Give, all this other type of stuff. Yep, we got that. But we need to get to why. And so this is where we're going to start out with. And I want you guys to follow along with me. You don't need to turn to these verses. I'm going to make references to them. And I hope you see the build up to what we're saying here. Here's my initial foundational stone of this morning. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established upon the waters. So the first point is this. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in the earth is the Lord's. It's his. New Living Translation says it like this. The world and all its people belong to him. He is the creator. We are the creation. The creator has power over the creation. That's our first point. Now, if you can't get that point, there's going to be an issue for the rest of the message. Because if you're going to try to convince yourself that as a created being, you have a say over the creator, there's an issue here. If you're going to believe that as a created being out of dust, that you have more say in your life than what God who created you is, there's going to be an issue with that. So we have to get that point laid out first. The next point is this. As the creator, he controls every aspect of my life, my breath, everything. Job chapter 12 says this. In whose hand is the life of everything and the breath of all mankind? Whose hand holds your breath? The Lord's. I'm only standing up here in the sovereignty of God because he's allowing me to. He's the one giving breath to my lungs. He's the one that's pumping blood through my body. It is all him. It is not on my power, my might, my ability in any way whatsoever. I lay down at night. I go to sleep. And I trust the systems that God has created keeps me alive at night because he is the creator and I am the creation. When Daniel was talking to King Belshazzar in Daniel 5, he said this, The God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways. Let that sink in. God who holds the breath in his hand and owns all of your ways. It is all the Lord. So therefore, as a created being, it's the creator. He owns the earth, the fullness of it. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills that the cattle's on. The Bible says that my breath is in his hands. Everything I have is of him. So therefore, when I lay this foundation and I start then teaching about possessions, there can't be a mindset of saying, well... I worked really hard for this. Based on what? The breath that God gave you? The strength that God gave you? The might that God gave you? The blood that's pumping through your veins right now that God gave you? The creation that even created you? 
How can I claim anything on my own when I have to stop and realize how much of it has to be the Lord? And we have to get that point down first. So therefore, when we stop and understand this point, it means everything I have is of the Lord's in all ways and all things. Not only my possession, my money, but also my time, my energy. Everything is His. And I will only find true joy and fulfillment when I stop and realize it's all his. Go back to one of the key verses that we talked about on Resurrection Sunday. If you really want to find your life, you've got to lose it. And when you lose your life into the hands of Christ, you finally find the true joy and fulfillment that you've been looking for. I think there's so many Christians that walk around half miserable. is because they're still trying to fight for their lives. When you really just need to stop and say, Lord, it's all yours. And as it all being yours, I don't have to worry about anything. So with that, can you go with me now to Luke chapter 12? Now, we are doing Proverbs. We will get to Proverbs, but I want to make sure we get this point laid out crystal clear before we move on. So if it's all the Lord's, why do we fight? See, in Luke chapter 12, it's one of those chapters that you see this is really a long teaching that Jesus is doing. And what kind of starts this teaching jumps back in Luke chapter 12 in verse 13. It says, then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here's Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, he's in one of the crowds, and somebody from the crowd just shells out, hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, if any of you have ever been around estates, you understand how human beings get around an inheritance. It is sad and is ugly sometimes. Nice to know that human nature has not changed in 2,000 years. This man that yells this out in verse 13, he is not worried about eternity. He's not worried about Jesus being the Messiah. He's not worried about the forgiveness of sins. He's worried about his piece of the pie in this world. And Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. That's his focus right there. Take a look at 15. He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, I hope we really do believe that. The world we live in today always wants to teach us that one more toy is going to make us happy. One more extended vacation. A little bit more money per hour. A few more days of work. It's going to bring you to this place of fulfillment that you can't have when you have less. But Jesus is saying... Beware of covenants. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And you know the little catchphrases. Don't let possessions possess you. God doesn't want your money. He just doesn't want you to want your money. I got a chance to witness to a guy yesterday and we're just talking. And he said he believed in God. And I asked him, are you a Christian? And he said, no. And I said, why not? And he goes, well, why do I need to be a Christian? I don't need a church telling me what to do in a church that just wants my money. I said, I agree. Why do we treat God or sometimes present God as he's half broke up in heaven? Scrounging through the couches of heaven looking for spare change to be able to have enough money to do things. God owns everything. God's not broke in any way whatsoever. And we do a disservice to God when we present ministries and God is in the brink of financial bankruptcy. And unless you give, this is going to fall apart. No. Your God is bigger than that. So when it comes to possessions and money, what's the point? Let me repeat these points again. Don't let possessions possess you. God doesn't want your money. He just doesn't want you to want it. 
And he's telling you right now in 15, be careful that you do not get sucked into this, that your life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Jump ahead to 33. How do you battle this? Sell what you have. Give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Reach a point where you just stop and say, I don't need to have it. It's the Lord. So therefore, 33, I can give it away. I can invest in eternity. Because 34, where my treasure is, there's my heart is. Whatever I treasure, my heart will follow it. If I treasure eternity, if I treasure the things of the Lord... That's where my heart's going to be. If I start treasuring this earth and a little bit extra money, a little bit nicer things, a little bit bigger toys, guess where my heart's going to be? And it's going to follow right after it. This is a dangerous thing that we get sucked into as a society. That we always just want a little bit more. And a little bit more would make us happy. And sometimes we didn't even realize that we wanted it. I didn't even know I needed it until I saw the commercial. Didn't even know that. We were joking at the Wednesday night a couple weeks ago, the idea of the, the Christmas Lexus commercials. I had no idea that the way I showed love to Dawn was to buy her a Lexus at Christmas. I had no idea. I had no idea that when Christmas comes around that the way I'm supposed to show love to Dawn is by getting her earrings and jewelry that the twins are going to rip out of her ears. I had no idea. Now, I thought I was supposed to show her love by just loving her as Christ loved the church. But no, the only way I show love is by gifts. It's a careful thing. I had no idea that the purpose of my life was to get whatever I wanted to on this earth. So therefore I could enjoy this earth more and therefore enjoy God more. When God is constantly telling me, whoa, James, actually let go of the things on this earth and you will enjoy me more, which will give you more joy. Problem is we chase down possessions and money. We're coming into a season right now, summer jobs, graduation Sunday, guys are going to be going and getting jobs. They're going to have more money in their pockets than they've ever had before. And what happens with the money in their pockets? It needs to be spent. And it needs to be spent on things. Rich and I one time went down to a hospital visit. It was down in Cincinnati. And we had three hours there, three hours back. So all that time in the car, we solved all the world's problems. We just didn't record the answers, but we did. We solved all the world's problems. And one of the biggest things that we came to the conclusion was this. One of the biggest problems facing the typical American is disposable income. We have extra money after we pay our bills, and we don't know what to do with it. Now, some of you may be saying, eh, that doesn't affect me. Do you realize, according to the world, you're rich? See, the problem is we compare ourselves to everything around here, and we stop and say, oh, I'm not rich. No, you're, you're rich. You have running water. You have electricity. You have heat. You have food on demand. You have clothes. You have vehicles. We're, we are absolutely rich. There's nothing that we need. And maybe part of the reason why we're always struggling for a little bit more money is because since we have extra money, we keep buying things we don't need. And our possessions are possessing us. And so therefore, verse 34, what am I going to treasure? Because that's where my heart will be. 35, well, how do I handle this then? Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Middle Eastern culture, sometimes men would wear these long flowing robes. When they got to work, they would have to gird their waist, tuck their robes up in their belt and get to work. Get the lamps burning. I'm going to get to work, get the light on, let's get out there and work. How do I work? Verse 36. You yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. Then when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. I work by serving my master and I'm eager to work because my master is returning. Jesus is coming back. I will meet Jesus either through natural death or the return of Christ. 
And I need to be eager for this. 37, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. I'm watching for him. As surely I say to you that he will gird himself, have them sit down to eat, and will come and serve them. Here's the amazing thing in 37. When I choose to serve the master and watch for the master, 37, the master turns around and serves me. That's crazy. The God of the universe serves me by me serving him. Jesus set this example by washing feet in John 13. By when the disciples, after he rose from the dead and he meets them for breakfast by the sea, he makes them breakfast. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the master serves us as we serve him. It's this beautiful system that God has ordained and set up. That I get, and as I get, I give. As I give, He gives me more. And as He gives me more, it's not to buy more toys, it's not to get more possessions, it's not to get more of what I want, but for me then to go and give more. And as I give more, guess what? He gives me more. This is how the system works. So that way He gets the glory. 38. And if He should come in the second watch, middle of the night, come in the third watch, right before morning, and finds them, so blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Guys, this is not some facetious little pastor comment. This is the honest truth. I don't know if I'll see you next Sunday. I don't know if I'll be here. I have no idea what the future holds. God may take me home. God may take you home. There may be a rapture. There may be something. We don't know. So this idea of verse 40, we need to be ready because you're going to meet Jesus at a time you may not expect. Now, God, if he decided to let us know the day, hour, whatever that we would die, that would be different. We don't know that. That's why there is an expectation of life to say, Lord, I'm accountable and I'm expecting you and I need to be ready for this. Accountability and expectation. 41, then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make rule over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? This is our tie-in now back to Proverbs. That word right there in 42, steward, some of your translation says manager. Take everything we've learned thus far. Psalm 24, the whole earth is the Lord's. The whole earth is the Lord's. What it says in Job, what it says in Daniel, even my breath is from the Lord. Whatever might, power, ability I have is from the Lord. He's constantly telling me, don't let possessions possess you. He doesn't want my money. He doesn't want me to want my money. If he gives, he gives me so I can give to other people and be blessed. And as I bless other people, he gets the glory. And guess what? He gives me more. So therefore, I can go bless other people. He has made me, 42, a manager or steward of what I have. And when your mind accepts this, it changes how you live. I don't have a house. I have a house that God gave me that's used for his glory. So if someone needs a place to stay, let's try to find him a room. I don't have a car. I have a car that the Lord gave me. And if I can use it for his ministry, I'm going to do it. This isn't my church. This is God's church. Whatever is in my wallet isn't mine. It's the Lord's. And I have to change the way I think and realize I'm just a manager or a steward of what he's given me. Dawn um, put this in my wallet. I made a copy of it. She read a book a while ago and just had some amazing points on it about understanding that everything we have is the Lord. And and you may have heard me use this phrase a lot, but that when God gives you more, it's not to raise your standard of living, it's to raise your standard of giving. 
And that really changes the way we think about stuff. But she put this in my wallet. And so anytime I open my wallet, this is what I see. God, God owns every treasure. I'm his investment manager. God wants me to use earthly treasures to store up heavenly treasures. Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. 1 Timothy 6, 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. So anytime I open my wallet, God owns every treasure. I'm his investment manager. So therefore, as his manager, as his steward, Lord, do you want me to use your money on this? God wants me to use earthly treasures to store up heavenly treasures. Lord, is this purchase, is this what I'm doing right here? Is it going to further the kingdom? Is it going to glorify you? Is this going to take people in Jesus Christ? If not, why am I doing it? You know, Larry Burkett used to have this rule that you're supposed to pray for 30 days before you buy something. Now, understand there's exceptions to that. We have rain coming. If your sump pump goes out, don't pray 30 days. Maybe pray 30 seconds, then go get yourself a sump pump, okay? But there's a lot of times in life we really need to stop and say, Lord, is this a wise investment? We have a little rule at our house that the boys, before they can purchase something, they need to spend some time thinking and praying about it. They'll get money for Christmas or for their birthdays or something like that. And we'll go to the store and they're looking around and they'll see something. They say, oh, Dad, I've always wanted this. How could you always want it? This is the first time you've ever seen it. I have no idea how many things I need until I watch commercials on TV. Once I start watching commercials on TV, all of a sudden I see these things I needed that I didn't even know existed. You know, we don't have satellite. We don't watch a lot of TV that has commercials in it. So anytime we go to a hotel and the TV's on, all of a sudden we walk away from that hotel room realizing a whole list of stuff that we needed that we didn't even know it existed. Dawn's kind of got some of these rules at home that when the toy catalog comes for Christmas, she doesn't let the boys look at them. Why? It's just going to create the idea of wanting more. Wanting more, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But as a manager, as a steward of God's possessions... Lord, it's yours. Verse 43, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming. My master is delaying his coming. Boy, we do that, don't we? I don't think we ever do it consciously. I think it's always subconsciously. You don't think you're going to die right now. It, it just doesn't cross your mind. And so therefore, you got all this time, this time to plan this, this time to plan that. Psalm 90, one of my favorite psalms in the Bible, is a great verse in there. It says, teach us to number our days, O Lord. I don't know when my last day is. I've already said it earlier, but I really do mean this sincerely. This may be the last message I ever teach. I don't know. Teach us to number our days. Don't delay. Verse 45, delay. Or the return of Christ. See, here's the problem when we talk about the rapture of the church, the return of Christ. We believe it, we teach it, but we don't really live it. Oh yeah, Jesus could return at any moment. Oh, wouldn't that be great? But I hope he lets me finish painting the living room first, because I really want to get that done. This is how we act. Do you really believe Jesus could return at any moment? Any moment. But we don't live like it. Do you really believe that your life could end at any moment? Oh, I believe it. Okay, but, but we don't live like it. We delay. So what happens when we start to delay 45? We begin to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. So what happens is we let relationships fall apart because Jesus isn't really returning. I'm not really going to die. And so therefore I start mistreating the body of Christ. I don't care about relationships. I don't care about accountability. And eat, drink, and get drunk. I care about pleasures. I don't care about eternity. 
I get sucked into this world. 46, the master of that servant will come on a day which he is not looking for him and an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Look at 47, guys. Don't skip over that. The servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself you know what God is asking you to do with your resources, your money, your time, your possessions, and you're choosing not to, you are asking for the discipline of God. That is a serious thing. If you are still thinking it is yours, and there is no prayer or token prayer over possessions and purchases, you are on dangerous ground, folks. 48. But he who did not know yet committed these things deserving of strife shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given and from him who will be required and to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. That's stewardship. That's manager. Lord, you have given me much so therefore are you requiring much out of me. Lord, you have committed much to me so therefore you're asking the more. And so therefore, Lord, I am responsible with what you have given me. Not just my money but also my possessions, my time, my heart, my energy. Remember what it says. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. This isn't just a, a message on possessions. It's a message on everything, Lord. It is yours to down to the very breath in my lungs. To stop and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to live today? Because you gave me breath and I don't want to waste it. Jump back now to Proverbs, please. 21. This is the mindset that God has. We've laid the foundation. And now we need to answer two questions before we get into the heart of the message here. The first one is why. Why then do I change how I live with my possessions, with everything? You don't need to turn there, but Proverbs nineteen seventeen: He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Every time I help out the poor, God says, James, I owe you. I'll take care of you. Think about how that works. Anytime I stop and say, Lord, I'm going to help somebody out in the name of Jesus, God says, I see that, I hear that, I reward that. The Lord cares. It is so vitally important when you realize the way the system works that if I ever give anything away, and I'm giving it away in the name of Jesus for the glory of the Lord, He will always pay me back. Always pay me back. It's just what the Lord does. Now, I have to make this clause here, and I have to make sure this comes across abundantly clear. You are giving because your heart has been so changed in what Jesus Christ has done for you that you say, Lord, I want to impact eternity, and I want to see souls saved. I want to see you glorified, and this is the right thing to do, so I do it. You are not treating God like an investment banker. If you treat God like an investment banker, the whole system falls apart. Okay, Lord, I'm giving you $100, and I'm expecting $1,000. No. Lord, I'm giving this away because you have led this to do this to represent you. And now then as you come back and give more, I'm going to give that away and you're going to come back and give more and this is the way the system works. I, I just keep giving and you keep giving and I keep giving and you keep giving. And you always meet my needs and you always take care of me. And I'm telling you right now, this system works. I have testimony after testimony after testimony of my personal life of the Lord always meeting our needs and taking care of us because we just stop and say, Lord, it's all yours and we just want to be generous with it. 
This is how God works. He says in Luke 6, 38, Give, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use will be measured back to you. You walk in generosity, God is generous with you, and as you get more than you give more, and it just keeps working. But if you get more from the Lord, you stop and say, Good, I can go buy toys. The system's going to stop. Because the Lord knows what you need and what you don't need. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 9.11. This is a verse that changed the way Dawn and I look at life. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So God blesses me so I can be generous. And then as I give gifts in the name of Jesus Christ, those people thank God and God gets the glory. And then guess what? He gives more so that way we can give away more and God gets the glory. And you just see how this just keeps going and going and going. This is the way it's supposed to be. But if in your heart you stop and you say once again, Lord, I'm only doing this to get, it's not going to work. You're doing this to give, to give God the glory, to make sure that people know it's all Him because everything I have is His. And when I have pity on the poor, lend to the Lord, He will pay back what He has given and it just works and it's a blessing. And this is the way the Lord wants to work. You know, well, the way the law was set up back in Leviticus 19... It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. He says, hey, when you're out there harvesting your crops, leave the corners. So that way the destitute and the poor can come get some food. Hey, when you're working through your grapevines, don't take all the grapes, leave some. So that way they can get some and be blessed. God says, I'm purposely asking you to leave some behind to make sure people are blessed and taken care of. And he says, I will always meet your needs and take care of you. The Lord will always take care of you. He truly will. You never need to worry about that. You never need to doubt that. And God says, I want to bless you. And as I bless you, I get the glory and you can go bless other people. He just takes care of us. And it's a beautiful thing. We have to learn to trust him. We have to learn to trust him. Real quick story on this. I, I, I told the, for those guys that were at the Saturday study yesterday, I told the story that just happened to us recently. Last week we were doing a devotional, 1 Peter 5, 7 with the boys. It says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And I said, okay, guys, what cares do you have? What burdens do you have that you want to see God move in your life and you're really worked up about? And so the boys went around and said, this one, this one, this one. I got to Layden, my fourth son, who's nine and, okay, Layden, what's the care, the burden that God lays on your heart that you really want to see him move in? And Layden goes, I really want a turtle. Okay? really want a turtle. He's asked for a turtle for a long time. Dawn says no. She hates turtles, hates the way they work, look. She doesn't like anything about them. We even had somebody from church that came and said, hey, because I mentioned the turtle from the pulpit before. They said, hey, we, caught a, we got a snapper. Can, can we give it to you guys? I said, I'd love it. And we'll figure something out. Dawn said, no, I do not want a turtle. Okay, fine. She doesn't want the turtle. So Layden says, I really want a turtle. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to cast all of our cares upon the Lord. And so as we are praying through these prayer requests, we prayed, I prayed, Lord, just as you brought the animals to Noah, bring a turtle to Layden. Dawn laughed. Just like Sarah laughed when uh, she was getting ready to have Isaac. Dawn laughed. Fast forward a week, I'm out on a run Friday, and as I'm running back home, there's a turtle alongside the road. Go back home, grab the shovel, grab the bucket, get the turtle, come back. Come back, Layden. God gave you the turtle. I believe the turtle's name was Sam, but I think he told me now it's Steve. Sam or Steve the turtle, I lose track. 
And, and Layden has a turtle. And so, therefore, I went to Dawn. And I said, so what do you think about that prayer? Probably said it like that, too. Um, she goes, you ain't Noah. That's what she told me. So then we sat down to devotions that day. And I said, guys, I just want to go through this with you. Look how this works. First Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. We prayed about it. We gave it to the Lord. Next verse we went to was in the book of James chapter 1. Where it says that every good and perfect gift is from above. Anything we have from the Lord, any gift we have is from the Lord, and it's a good gift from God. Then I went to the Gospels where it says, your Father wants to give you good gifts. God does want to bless us. He does. Then we went to the book of James where it says, but you do not receive because you do not ask. So we said, guys, ask. Then we went to the kicker verse, but you do not receive because you ask that you may use it on your own pleasures. So when God says, no, I have to trust it. I can ask. And if God wants to bless me, bless me. But if God says no, then he's also blessing me because he says, James, I see the big picture and I need to say no to this. That's sometimes why it doesn't work out for that promotion that you want because God says, yeah, it's not the promotion. It's not going to promote anything. It's going to pull you away from me. That's why sometimes you don't get the girl you want because you realize God knows it's best. That's why sometimes you don't get that house, you don't get that car, you don't get that whatever, you don't get that raise because God says, you've got to trust me. And if we can't get the foundational point of these verses down, that it's all the Lord's, and whatever I have is His, and if He blesses me with anything, He gets the glory, and my whole goal is to say, Lord, how can I use this item to glorify you and give it away? It's never going to work out, because I'm really just making it about me. And it's never about me. My very breath is His. If you are blessed here this morning, and money is not an issue, then amen. Use it for eternity to further the gospel in whatever way you can. Because that is all that matters. All that matters. Let's pick this up now. That was the world's longest introduction. Now we're actually to the message. Proverbs 21, please. We're going to go through these quickly. Look at verse 13. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. I want to give because I want God to hear me. When I'm struggling, I want to be heard by the Lord. And so therefore, I want to set a tone of giving so that way when I need help, he listens to me because I have shown my heart of generosity. 22 verse 9. He was a generous, I will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. When I am generous, God blesses me. And I go back to those verses in Luke 6.38. With the same measure that you use, we measured back to you. 2 Corinthians 9.11. God blesses me so I can bless other people. This is what it's saying here in 22.9. God, if I am generous, God is generous to me. Not so I get more. He does not give me more to raise my standard of living. He gives me more to raise my standard of giving. So he gives me more so I can give away more. And God gets the glory and gets the thanks. 22.16 He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. How arrogant of us to oppress the poor to get more. How arrogant of us in verse 16 to elevate the rich at the sake of the poor. We live in this society today where we just elevate the rich. We watch shows on how amazing their houses are. We buy magazines about it. We watch these fixer-upper shows where they're spending all this other type of stuff. You know, we have joked before. I've seen those shows where you come in and they're looking at a house. And, you know, let's say it's 2019. They say, well, the house was remodeled in 2012. And they'll come in and look at the bathroom and say, oh, this is a gut job. We'll have to start from scratch. Yeah, because in seven years it's gone bad. Really, really bad. And we elevate this idea of riches. And God says, careful with this. Careful with this mindset and mentality. 22, 22, please. 
Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the souls of those who plunder them. God watches out for the poor. And if we're supposed to be like God, we're supposed to watch out for the poor. And take a look at 23. For the Lord will plead their cause. God's on their side. I don't want to go against God. If God is on the side of the destitute and poor, then I want to do whatever I can to represent Jesus Christ to them. And if I give them something, I say, I give this to you in the name of Jesus. It's all for you. That's the whole point of the garage sale giveaway. We give this away for free in the name of Jesus. Just as the gospel is free, this is free. Do people get that when they come? I have no idea. I think a lot of people come just to get. But I hope they at least hear that this is free just like the gospel is free. It goes back to that guy that I told you I was witnessing to yesterday. Churches just want my money. How sad to think that people really do believe that and how sad it is that some churches really do act that way. We just want to give you Jesus Christ. What should we do then with this information? 21.17, what changes can I make in my life? 21.17, he who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Be careful that you learn to not love pleasure. Be careful of that. Pleasure is so tempting. Something nicer, something bigger, something more comfortable, something more colorful. It is just there and we want it and we desire it. You've got to be careful about that. You can spend your whole life wanting more and loving wine, oil. and I mean, we call it window shopping. We drive through communities that we can't even afford the down payment on the house. And we just stare at their house and their landscaping and their yards. We drive through car dealerships to look at cars that we can never afford. We spent all afternoon on Craigslist just looking at stuff that we didn't even know existed. We waste so much time on those things. Why? Because we always want more. Because we have disposable income. Might as well go buy something. And we can convince ourselves that we always just want more. Be careful with that, that I that is always just desiring more and riches, what have you. Make your eye for eternity. I'm willing to bet here this morning there's very little you need. So then, Lord, how can I bless you? Take a look at Proverbs 21.20. There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. I like how the New Living Translation reads it. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Think about that. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. There is a danger in money in the pocket, and you might as well go buy something. There's a danger in that. You know, I mentioned uh, during the graduation thing, you know, my degree is in finance. And so I, I do financial counseling with couples sometimes. And it just kind of sometimes shocks me. People will come in, and they make a very good paycheck. Very good paycheck. But yet they can't pay their bills. Why? Fools spend whatever they get. There's not a budget. There's not a plan. They don't look at it as God's money. They look at it as their money. And they just keep spending, spending, spending. And it's squandered and it's lost. And what happens is they got themselves in so much debt. Take a look at Proverbs 22.7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. There's a danger in debt, folks. You know, right now we're praying about making some building additions out here at church. We're just seeing where the Lord's leading and one of our goals is to say, let's just do this thing without taking debt on. You know, let's try to set that example. Let's see where the Lord leads with that. Just be careful, folks, because you can make a payment on almost anything. 
you know, really surprised me when I was going to college and I'd show up at the beginning of the semester. How many little booths are set up there at the college for college kids to get credit cards? You don't have to pay anything for 30 days. Be careful of that debt. Be careful of just making a payment. And next thing you know, you're swimming in debt. And the borrower is servant to the lender. And not only your personal debt, jump ahead to Proverbs 22. Take a look at 26. Do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should, you, why should he take away your bed from under you? Be careful of getting into financial obligations with others. Careful of those financial agreements with others. Not just you personally, but also with others. That's a dangerous area as well, too, that the Bible is warning against. So let's finish this up now. Just got three more verses and we're done. How do we practically do this then? Proverbs 23, verse 1. When you sit down to eat with the ruler, consider carefully what is before you. Put a knife to your throat. If you are a man given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Be careful what you lust after. Be careful after lusting after riches. Be careful about spending your time looking at magazines and online and all this and just, oh, I'd be great to have this. Oh, I'd like this. And we just daydream about it. What does it say to do in two? Put a knife to your throat. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. There will always be somebody who has more than you. Always will be. Get over it. You're living for eternity. You're investing in heaven. That's where your treasure is. Soul saved. Nothing else matters. 23.4. Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not for riches? Certainly make themselves wings and fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Do not overwork to be rich. Be careful with that, that carrot of overtime. Time and a half, double time, whatever. Now, now listen here. I'm not making a blanket statement against overtime. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But careful with how the world will dangle that in front of you. I have met people that work 12 hours a day, 7 days a week, by choice. Think that through. 12 hours a day, 7 days a week, by choice. And then they come in wondering why they don't have a relationship with their kids and their spouse. Because we're overworking to get rich. Now, you may have be forced in. There may be mandatory overtime. There's other things like that. I'm saying the conscious decision you make to stop and say, why am I chasing a paycheck? And some of you that may be chasing a, chasing a paycheck, look at verse 5. Riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Where's the money go? I mean, you're stopping, you're looking, you're like, I, I'm making good money, and all of a sudden I can't find this money. Because God has a tendency to work these things out where if your whole goal is finances, he can make that money disappear pretty quick. Let's talk about it. Here's our last verse. Go to the book of Haggai, please. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai is hidden between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Just a quick little two-chapter book. A little bit of background of the book of Haggai. Uh, temple needed to be rebuilt. People stalled out on the building project. So here's God's house, not done, not completed, sitting empty. And the people have stalled out on this building project. So God raises up the prophet Haggai. And he says to them in verse 2, Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. People are saying, hey, You know, it's not that God's time to build the house of the Lord yet. 
the most important building in the Old Testament, it's not time for this yet, to get the sacrifices up and going, the presence of God, doesn't matter. Verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, this temple to lie in ruins? So God says, So it's not time for the temple to be built, but it's okay for you guys to decorate your home for the third time in the last five years? It's okay to buy that one more thing for your house here, guys? He says in verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. God says very simply, stop and think this through, guys. Verse 6, You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Man! You get your paycheck on Friday, and by Tuesday, you already don't have enough money to pay the bills. Where'd it go? It has a hole in your money bag. Because why? The focus is on you and what you want and your possessions and your things. And God says, how can I bless that? I can't bless that if it's all about you. Because you didn't get the first premise. That's the Lord's. Down to your very breath. And what happens is, Your bag has a hole in it and it disappears. Hence, verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Just go back to the beginning. It's all God's, down to my very breath. Therefore, Lord, if it's all yours, how can I use it for eternity? And Lord, when you bless us with more, how can we use that more to further the kingdom? How can we use that more to see souls get saved? How can we, Lord, to take the generosity you've given us to be generous to others so you get the glory, the thanks, and the praise? Because it's all about you. Worship team, if we come forward here for the final song.